Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Podcast. I'm Jason Abrams, and this is the place where we lift the curtain on the world of real estate like never before. Every week, I sit down with visionaries, pirates, and mavericks. We're here to document, demonstrate, and most importantly, demystify their game-changing models and systems. What secrets propel them to the top, and how are they living their dreams? This is about passion, it's about strategy, but above all, it's about real, tangible success. So buckle up and let's dive in. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Podcast. Today you're going to hear from Anna Kalinsky, affectionately known as Anna Kay or Hey Hey Anna Kay, and you're going to love her. Anna has built a thriving real estate team in Atlanta, Georgia, and she's now embarking on a national journey. You're going to hear how she became who she is, but more importantly, how she's becoming who she needs to be to accomplish her giant goals. Friends, buckle up. Here comes Anna Kalinsky. Anna Kalinsky, how are you? Hey, Jason Abrams. I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm happy to be here, as always. So we're going to talk about the world that you've built and that you're building because it, it's massive. You have one of the largest teams on the Eastern Seaport. You're hailing from Atlanta, and you're also involved in a region. you got all these different businesses. I want to go all the way back, though. And for you, because you kind of come from a family legacy in real estate, this might mean fifth grade, but you choose how far we go back. All right. How did you end up in the real estate business? So I fought it for a long time. You might know a man named Bob Kalinsky, protege of Bob Kalinsky in some fashion or form. I remember at a young age, I would go over to his real estate office and wipe down his Gertrude Gardner real estate signs. This, this was pre-KW in New Orleans, just so we're clear, because of course he would have made the right choice. And, you know, I didn't really know what I didn't know. And fast forward to early adulthood. I remember sitting at family no, dinner. No, 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 no. I don't want to fast forward. I want to go back because you, you know, Gary Keller went to Baylor and got a degree in real estate. And I just came out of high school and got into real estate. Were, were you trained classically in real estate or entrepreneurialism or was it, did you go to school for something else? I did go to school for something else. I have a background in information systems and I am what we call a zennial. So I went into college with no technology and I came out of college with technology. But what that degree taught me, I wasn't like in a backroom programming C++. I actually did process engineering. So I understood how to break down problems and solve them and algorithms and understand how decisions are made completely at the end and then build the entire track record along the way. I didn't know it in college, but my dad, um, you know, we didn't come from a lot. And so my dad had to be very resourceful. And when I was at the University of Alabama, I lived in a house that my dad, I believe, bought for like $11,000. And I had two roommates and he was smart enough to allow me to live rent-free. I did work all through college, lived rent-free, and then I had my two roommates pay the mortgage. So my dad basically had a free place for me to live, so no room and board in college. He didn't make a ton of money on the house, but it was an offset for an expense that we didn't have the money to pay for. So the undertones in college, while I wasn't aware that that was the lesson that I was learning, 
was the foundation was laid. You know, I, I went to the real estate office and I, I always joke with my dad because there were a number of agents in Louisiana that had big hair and lots of hairspray and bangles and beer and billboards. And I was like, that is never going to be me. I'm never going to be a real estate agent. God bless. And, you know, fast forward, I went and got this degree in making decisions it just happened to be in technology. And I graduated you know, when you come out of college as a young adult, you're kind of like thrown to the wolves. Like, okay, now you got to figure out how to make money and be self-sufficient. And and I don't know that all generations are programmed like that. A lot of people don't do that till they're in their thirties, but I didn't have a choice. I have to go to work and figure out what I'm going to do. So I did a number of different things. I did healthcare consulting, process engineering for hospitals. Um, I worked at like a brand strategy, yeah, brand strategy company where I did a lot of research for them. And I just realized that I just wasn't super happy. Like I could perform at a high level, but it wasn't challenging me. It wasn't my own way. And I don't know, Jason, you might know somebody who doesn't necessarily like to be told what to do. But at the end of the day, I realized that I didn't like working for other people. Turns out I still work for other people and that's okay, but I've done it... (laughs) I was just going to say, so you become a real estate agent, which literally means that you have more bosses and you work for more people than anyone else on the planet because every buyer and every seller ultimately becomes your boss. 100%. Yeah. And every person that you employ becomes your responsibility. Yes. So yeah. So long story short, I um, remember sitting with my dad, just kind of venting frustrations in my 20s. My brothers were both mortgage lenders. My dad was dating slash about to be married to a bold coach. Uh, you know, so I just kind of couldn't avoid it. And I remember thinking that I was the one that was going to keep family dinner interesting because I was different. And so sure enough, I uh, was convinced by my brothers that on a, I think I made $48,000 at the time to consider buying a house. And I was like, there's no way I can buy a house. And without really being educated, you would think that I had all of the mentorship, but it was very indirect. Like nobody sat me down. I was like, here's how you buy a house. Here's how you build wealth. But my very first house was a duplex. And I kind of picked it because it was cute, not because it was financially the right choice. It was this orange house with bright red trim. And I'm from New Orleans and we're very eclectic. And I was like, oh my God, this is an old storefront. This is so cute. Well, I moved into it and I lived in the back with a roommate, which paid for half the mortgage. And then I rented out the front part, which paid for the other half of the mortgage. And when I set that up, I realized that I literally had just cut my living expenses in half. And I was like kind of intrigued by the process. Like, I don't think that I knew at that time I was like in wealth building mode. Like I wasn't super hyper aware of what I was doing at the time. But then there became this pattern of like trying to figure out how do I maximize my leverage with money and how I use money and then how do I offset expenses? So that became like a kind of a passion of mine. So that was just I became an investor before I became a real estate agent. I didn't I didn't know that. And then the guy that bought my property was like a 1905 crappy little house in this neighborhood that was very transitional. And he would come over and the punch list was like 17 pages long and it was taped up in the kitchen. I'm like, this guy's never going to get through this. But I went by there every day to inspect what I expected for him to finish the punch list. And I was like, oh my God, I really kind of like, like that you took this house from this ugly to this cute. I want to learn more about this process. 
So I sat down with my dad and we did a back of the napkin business plan on how I was going to live on $500 a week because that was what this guy was going to pay me. And, you know, I started by helping him get permits and like paying his workers on Friday in, in cash. And then he's like, well, I need somebody to sell the house, the houses that I renovate. You know, so I was his project manager for about a year and a half. And then he's like, well, I need somebody to help me sell these houses. And you feel like you're a good fit for that. He's like, I'll pay. He's like, get your real estate license and I'll pay you 1%. And I was like, 1%? That is so much money. That was so much money. I get it. I was blown away. Like, I remember the first house I sold, which was the top of the market in 2006 in this neighborhood was $400,000. It would probably sell today for probably like nine hundred. By the way, the lesson there for everyone listening—that's the thing about real estate. It's always the right time to buy the right piece of real estate, and the longer you hold it, the better you'll do. That's right. And I'm not great at math, but whatever four percent, you know, what four thousand dollars divided by five hundred is—I guess it's like eight weeks of work, yeah. right? Is that right? Is that the right math? So I was like, one house is eight weeks of work. I should do this more often. So I worked for 1% for a long time. And then at 26, 27, I realized that like, wow, a lot of my friends are buying houses and they're starting to like build nest eggs and put down payments. And so I just, nobody in my age range knew a realtor. Cause like who knows a realtor at 20? Not a lot of people or 25. So I became the realtor of choice for my peer group. And that's just kind of, I don't want to say the rest is history because it's my life, but that was how it started. I don't think I intentionally ever decided that I was going to go sell real estate, but I, I used what we would call our nat- my natural ceiling of achievement, which was a great personality and a, a great network. And I had those things at my fingertips. And so I quit the job working for Russell. So I, I just had exposure to like, wow, this is how part, like I learned what fascia meant and like what a port cashier was. And like, I just didn't know all those things, right? Like who know, who wakes up and knows all these terms? No one. So that was like my journey into real estate. And I would say because I am the daughter of a strong minded, successful man who has successful brothers also in the industry, I did not want to be confused for being Bob's daughter. So Anna Kay was birthed because Kalinsky carried a, a name in the Atlanta market because that was where the first market center for the Southeast region was. And like Bob and Kay, like there was a big name. So it became Anna Kay in town because I lived in town and I was pledged on my wedding day that if we talked about moving out of town, that was a grounds for divorce. So Anna Kay in town was the name. And we just slowly, I, we, me and myself, we slowly scaled to realizing that I just had no more time to take on more. My quality of customer service started to deteriorate because I was just taking on more and more and more and more. Okay. But in order for that to happen, you had to be generating enough leads, which ultimately led to enough conversations, which ultimately led to enough clients such that your service started to suffer because you were so busy. So think all the way back. What was the thing you were doing to generate leads? I think, again, a natural skill that I have is urgency and the willingness to do the work. And I know that sounds really basic. Like, I know, like, we can sit here and talk about lead generation. Like, I would love to tell you that I built this business off having five open houses a week or having expireds or FISBOs or whatever. I didn't. 
I did not do that. I started with the people that I knew and I made sure that when they called, I answered. And when they called, I called them back if I didn't answer. And I was just, it was just, I was the speediest person in their world. I was the most reliable person in their world. And I got what they needed in the time frame of which they needed it. So I started very sphere-based. I mean, it was free to do that because I had my phone and my Rolodex and the people that I knew in 26, 27, 28 through 30, people were getting married. They want to buy their first house. And so then it became a referral game. Okay, well, I worked with Anna. And again, I was still this young gun, if you will, with not a lot of competition unless they wanted to work with their mother's friend or something like that, right? So there was like this age range of like not a lot of young real estate agents. Now, I think that that's changed now, thankfully. Like, I think there's a lot of young people getting into real estate because <laughs> I do feel like real estate agents... It, it hasn't, it hasn't. I, I, th- I think I was reading the other day, and don't quote me, but I think that this was right, that it was like less than 5% of all real estate agents were under 30 years old. Well, so, I, I want to change that because... Well, keep in mind, you have about 1.6 million real estate agents out there. So y'all can do the math. Which is crazy to me because if, if you're within the sound of my voice right now and you're waking up every day and you're saying, well, what would be the greatest industry in the world? I would make a really good argument for being in the real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. But so you, you kind of had this advantage, which is almost by default, your friends didn't have a bunch of choices of people that they wanted to work with. And no, there you were. I didn't. And then, you know, I, one thing I failed to mention is that my first sale was in 2008. <laughs> so... That was a fun time. Um, I think it was a uh, $68,000 foreclosure. The the paper was this big. So again, there was a period of time. And again, I feel like this is relevant today. While I, I know the market has shifted or is shifting, but in hindsight, and I think anybody that's been in the industry from the crash would also argue that we are in a phenomenal market right now in comparison to where we have been. Yeah. And I want to go right at that because, you know, there's so many people talking about the shift. The truth of it is, if you think that that's going to define your success, that's a bunch of shift. And the reason I say that is because a shift in the economy, which is a completely external factor, has absolutely no say or indication of what you're going to do with your life. The only time you experience a shift in your life is when you change the way you think and then you change the actions that you take, which, Anna, is why In every shifting market, there's a real estate agent, there's someone who owns a car wash, there's someone who owns the ice cream shop, there's someone that's going to have the best year of their entire career. Yeah. I mean, I I think, again, just I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I didn't know that it was supposed to be that hard. Long story short is that I don't feel like I hurt a little bit for agents that got into the market when things were so good because it has robbed them of the basic principles of what it takes to actually build a big business. doesn't mean that they can't learn them. They're just going to have to shift their mindset. Whereas if you talk with anybody that sort of made it through the shift, they kind of came out saying, man, if I can get through that, I can get through any market because it was terrible. And I didn't know that it was terrible at the time. I just went to work and there was more money than I'd ever made before. So I just kind of kept on that path. I think right now the the conversation I'm trying to have with all my agents, because they haven't been through this shift is like, what life do you want to create? Like good market, bad market. We all need to go to work. Like what what life do you want to create? Like pick your hard. It's going to be hard now or it's going to be hard later. So 
where do you want to spend your time? There's this brilliant women's basketball coach, I believe at North Carolina. And um, she says, life is going to be hard. Basketball is going to be hard. And these practices only get harder. And so if you're waiting for the minute it gets easier on the wrong team, I want you all to just do hard better. Yes. Yep. Yes. Do hard better. Okay. So, t- so take me back because yeah. I, w- I want to stay linear here. You, you, you hit this point where you realize that you can't do anymore. And what's interesting about it is that doesn't show up in your life as exhaustion or falling through the cracks. You look up and realize that your customers aren't getting the kind of service that you want to deliver, which is an interesting epiphany to have. So how do you solve that? Well, I started with wine and <laughs> the universal answer. And after that, copious note. So, um, yeah, so I realized I remember this one specific client. I remember where I was standing when she fired me. Uh, I was standing in the my master bedroom of the storefront duplex house. And I remember I was like looking really cute that day. I'd done my hair. I was feeling really good about myself. It was like January. I think Alabama was in the national championships prize. Long story short, I picked up the phone, just feeling really good about myself. And she, I remember the pressure that I put on her to make a decision because it had become about me and not about her. She felt that in the moment. She felt it. And she was like, I can no longer employ you as my realtor because I realize that you're making decisions for you and not for me. And I was doing that because I had this urgency to sort of at the time get people through the funnel, not the perspective that these are people's lives that I'm either elevating or destroying. Like I have to figure that out. How am I being a lever to these people in their lives? And so that was a big wake up call for me. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as commission breath. It was more like accomplishment breath. And that just kind of snapped me back into perspective that like, all right, I'm not going to have a business if I don't take care of the people that help me get what I want. So I had to figure, I had to figure that out. So I started slowly by leveraging. I remember um, Holly Perry or Holly Prescott was my first coach and I remember sitting in downstairs in the Keller Williams in town office. And I think I had just made like a hundred and 110 grand one year. That was the most money I'd ever made in my life. I was like, Oh my God, six figures. This is, I've, I can quit. <laughs> I'm retired. And I was so stretched. I was so burnt out. I just couldn't figure out how I could take on one more thing. And so Holly in true KW fashion says, well, what's your goal this year? And I was like, oh, I don't know, Holly, like maybe making 120. I was going to go from like 110 to 120. And she's like, that's, she's like, you're not thinking big enough. And I was like, right, Holly, I'll be grateful if I do what I did again with less stress. And she's like, well, you're just not thinking big enough. She goes, I want you to double it. I want you to make it 220. And I remember I burst into tears and I hung up on Holly and I fired her. And I was like, I can't do this. This is too much pressure, too much stress. Like, I don't understand how this woman thinks that I could just double my business. Like she could just say it. You fired your coach at the yeah. time because the the big, hairy, audacious goal that she wanted you to set scared you to death. No, it didn't scare me. It literally was like, that's not possible. And you're crazy. And like, you don't know my life. And I've literally worked. I might sleep two hours a day kind of perspective. Like, good, like, thanks, lady. And by the way, I love Holly Prescott. She's one of my dear no, friends. No. I, 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 you, you wouldn't be telling the story about her. I and you, you, 
Yeah, you wouldn't be telling the story if she hadn't had an amazing impact in your life, which is exactly what coaches do. And here's the truth out there. If you're a coach and somebody and a client fires you over something like this, you probably just became the person they're going to be telling a story about 10 years later. Yes. My My current coach says, if I'm not making you a little bit uncomfortable, I'm not doing my job. All right, so you're wildly okay. uncomfortable. You fire the coach. Fire what the coach. Next? And so, and then I like was like going to go it alone. And then I, and then there was like this program called Bold. You might have heard about it. And I got into Bold, and it was always on a Monday. And I remember I was that chick crying in Bold every Monday. I was like, like just all of the unpacking all of the things. I don't know if it was like therapy or business building or what, but like Bold, literally like just busted something open for me. And probably it was my mindset, right? And Bold is not really a class on leverage, but it's a class on creating like systems and tools for dialogues and mindset and like money. And I remember like you had to sprinkle dollar bills, like falling out of the sky to envision your life abundance. And then I remember that year I hit my goal and I surpassed the 220 mark. I remember, and I I actually called Holly and, and thanked her and said, you're not going to believe this, but you know, I did it. Okay. Now you heard Anna mention this idea. She went to bold, got a coach, and then this, this change happens in her life. She hits that goal. So for those of you listening that don't know what bold is, that's a class that they teach at Keller Williams. And it's this seven week journey into your mind and into taking action. And they have these things called bold laws. And ostensibly, these are just the laws of the universe that we wake up and put into our head. Because here's the thing, if you wake up every day and you're not thinking powerful thoughts, you're not gonna have a really big life. You'll you'll think big and have no action, meaning you'll only be living a big life in your own mind. You'll get what you deserve only in your imagination. And let me just tell you, that's not where you wanna get it. You wanna get it in the real world. And so when you think about, well, what are these bold laws? Well, I'll give you some of them. How about this one? Clarity is power. Friends, you know that's true. If you're not clear on something, you instantly go into weakness. How about motion equals emotion? Think about that. Motion equals emotion. You you know that's true. You want something to start in your life? You got to actually move towards it. How about success is simple, not easy? Friends, success is simple, not easy. Absolutely. Ed Milat, who I I caught up with, we spent some time together because he was a speaker at one of our events. He said, Jason, it's so hard out there that all you have to do is do one more. Convince yourself that because it's not easy, you just do one more. One more phone call, one more push-up, one more, one more. And he's right. How about focus on the plan and not the problem? You know how many people wake up every day convinced that the problems in their life are completely unsolvable? And you know what? They're 100% right because they formulated no plan to solve it. How about complaining equals garbage magnet? That's so true. You have that person in your life who's always complaining. Let me just guess. They always find new things to complain about. That's because they're a magnet for it. How about life by design, not by default? Do you want to just wake up and get what you get? Or do you want to be the architect of the life that you live? How about there is no try? I mean, that's my favorite one on here. I know I sound like Yoda. There is no try. You're either going to do it or you're not. You see, I'm, I'm reading these to you so that you can internalize them because these were the laws that Anna had in her head. When she says, I took this class and I hit my goal, 
that's her experience. Let me tell you why it happened. What she really means is I started thinking differently and then I acted differently because thinking comes before action. That's the genius of Anna Kalinsky. That's what she's teaching you. When we talk about my real estate journey, like I, I, I feel like I've been saying I've been doing this for 15 years, for 20 years now. <laughs> so maybe, I, maybe I should up my number. I don't know. When did I get licensed? In 2000 six and sold in 2008. So let's call it 15, 16 years. I spent the first eight of those years doing it my way. Like, I'm going to innovate and do it Anna Kay's way. And like, you know, I'm creative and I know what my brand needs to look like. And I know how to create more business. And then I actually like stumbled across these things called systems and models. Oh, wow. You know, I have to recreate this every time. And then I realized that implementing somebody else's system and model was a lot easier for me to do than come up with my own system and model. So that was a big lever point for me. And that showed up in the form of lead generating, the hiring process, creating systems and tools, understanding my finances, like all those things sort of leveled up at the same time once I realized that I didn't have to design it from scratch. There was something out there that existed that I could master and then build upon it in my way if I decided that I wanted to do that put my flair on it. But for the most part, that was where I saw the hockey stick. I kind of always grew. You know, every year has always been a better year and I'm knocking on wood. We've never had a down year. I mean, I feel really grateful to say that in our in our We've lost people, we've leveled out in units, but year over year, we've always sold more in volume and profit. And and we are in this business to be profitable. So if it's not working for you, you gotta switch something out. You gotta switch a person out. Are you confused by that part? No, 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 no. But 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 I am I do think there's a missing piece here. So so as I'm listening to your story and I say, okay, what did Anna really do? Well, step one, she adopted her ideals and that was urgency and work ethic. And it sounds like those things have served you very well. Then it was start with the people I know, whether it was doing that to find clients or doing that to find people to work with. Then it was commit to elevating people's lives. If, if you're not doing that, you're not going to grow. Then it set a giant goal that is super stretch and that might scare you. Mm-hmm. Then it seems to be find the systems and models that are proven to hit that goal. Then it's resource and staff accordingly. Start by outsourcing and then maybe hire. The, here's the missing piece, though, for me. Once you do all that, how do you actually then go execute it? Well, you're executing along the way. I mean, I think the, maybe the key word is mastery. Right. I think there's two things that you need to figure out how you can master in your life. Mastery in your life is either master something that's going to make you more money or master something that's going to give you control of your time. I love yeah. that. I yeah. Love because that. at the end of the day, like, yes, the people are important. Elevating people are important, but I'm only one me. So I have to then I have to run think the execution piece shows up when you run it through a prioritization filter. What is the most important thing that I need to focus on such that I can go do all these other things? I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I was joking. My kids are big Michael Jackson fans. I took them to MJ in New York and they do, he sings ABC easy as one, two, three. And he's only 50% right. It is ABC, but it is not as easy as one, two, three. 
Spend a few minutes with me because I think I understand the business principles that have helped you build this juggernaut. You're also doing doing it in a big way at home. How, how many kids do you have? Just two. Just two. How old for are some they? people, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, by the way, I have one. I don't know how anyone has the time for the second. So when you say just two, I, I feel that. How old are they? Boys, might I add. So two tornadoes. Uh, they are five. Well, Jones will be five in a couple weeks and seven. Cool. So pre-K and second grade. Can you walk me through be, being an executive, being a CEO, and being a, a mom? Because I know that you're trying really hard not to sacrifice in either of those places. And whether it's walking us through your schedule, how are you purposeful about time with the kids? Give us those hacks. Yeah. So, well, first, before I had kids, I knew that there was a plan for me to protect my nights and weekends. And I know anybody that's ever been a real estate agent understands that that's not always so easy to do. So that before I even had kids, I wanted quality time with my spouse. And that was going to come because he worked a nine to five job. So I had weekends with him. And I realized very quickly that if we were going to have two full days together and maybe a couple of hours during the week on the nighttime, I wasn't going to spend my Saturday or my Sunday like folding laundry or him mowing the grass. Not that we can't do those things. And we also know that those things cost money to leverage those things. But I worked really hard to make the money such that I can have the time. And if I didn't have the time, then it didn't really feel right that I had the money. So I kind of had to find the counterbalance between the time and the money piece. And so then we had had children. And anybody that's a, and maybe there's working dad's guilt. I don't know, but you know, every woman can, who works or is in charge of something will probably say, gosh, I have mom guilt. And I have um, two stay at home mom, sister-in-laws. I really respect the workload that they take on the emotional weight that they carry around all day and managing the, the house logistics and, and the children's schedules and all those things. But I also noticed that just because they spent a lot of time with their kids didn't really indicate that it was quality time. And that was something that I had to be really clear on that when I was going to be home with Ford and Jones, that I was not also trying to like type the contract while he was telling me a story about his day or that I was not going to like, you know, one second, like, hold on, I'm on the call, you know, put my finger up and shush them that I had very clear expectations for anybody that I was working with that between five and eight, I had a pre-planned appointment. I mean, I just did. I had an appointment every night that I wasn't playing tennis where I was with my family and it was just a, it was an appointment. So you can't really argue with that. So that was the way that I protected a lot of my time. I have had enough people in my life that have brought wisdom that I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the lady that wants to look back on my deathbed and be like, I'm so glad I answered that text. This idea that I want to be able to look back at my life and say, I'm glad I did, not I wish I had, this came out of a ton of study that, that Jay Papasan and Gary Keller did. And, and if you're not sure, they're the people that wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which is the namesake of this podcast. They looked up and said, what's the secret to happiness? And I was there. We went, we thought we were going to solve it like in a day. We were like a week into trying to figure this thing out. And we started pouring over every resource that we could find. And one of those resources was this book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And it was written by a hospice nurse who had spent a lifetime walking people through the final doorway. And the number one regret of the dying was that I didn't live my life. 
that they had woken up. And we've talked about this. On, we, we spoke about this on the Gary Keller episode that we did, which is you wake up at the end of your life and realize that you didn't live your own life. You lived life on somebody else's terms, for somebody else's wishes, with somebody else's desires. You stayed out of relationships you wish you would have gotten into. And all too often, you stayed in relationships that you should have gotten out of because you didn't want to hurt somebody. So the only person you hurt was yourself or because you thought that you were expected to do it. You didn't chase the career you wanted. You chased the career that somebody else wanted you to have. You didn't chase the place you wanted to live. You stayed where somebody else had chosen that they wanted to live. You could think of a million examples. And this is really important because this is one of the key components of happiness. If you think about happiness as having three core components, which is number one, I am conditionally happy. And that shows up for most of us. I want stuff. I'll be happy when I get blank. I'll be happy when this happens. I'll be happy if it's sunny tomorrow. I'll be happy if I get a new car. I'll be happy when I have a million bucks. Spoiler alert, you won't be. You'll be happy for a short period of time, and that's the pro there. The other pro is that you can create it, but the con for that one is that it's fleeting. If anyone who's ever had a new car knows that to be true. Then you have the second one, which is I, I wake up every day and I choose to be happy. That I'm gonna have happiness as my moniker for the day. So bad things might happen. And I might feel sad about those things, but I'm gonna be happy. And then the third one is this idea that I look back on my life and I'm glad I had, and I'm glad I did, not I wish I had. And what you heard Anna just say is just that, which is I came to the realization that the number of days I have, no idea. They're all a gift. And what I wasn't willing to do was look back on my body of work, which is life, and realize that I hadn't lived it on my terms. Friends, I want you to ask yourself right now, are you living life on your terms? If it all ended sooner than you thought, could you look back and say that I'm glad I did, not I wish I had? Gary Keller once told me, Jason, in my life, I was either in the picture or I was the one taking it, but I never missed a thing. I want that for every one of you listening. All right, Anna, I want to take you into the lightning round as we wind this down. So we are going to ask you in very short succession, a series of questions. Give us the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Let's go. What is your favorite food? French fries, hands down. Salty over sweet every day. I, I let you stop the lightning. Stop the lightning round. I agree with you completely. Now, do you think there's a standout when it comes? Where do you think the best fast food fries are? I used to think Chick-fil-A, but they're kind of getting weak. Like they're not crispy anymore. You don't have Chick-fil-A in Austin, but no, we have it. We you're not we, no one has it on Sunday, but yes, we have it here. But I, I would argue steak fry kind of gal. And I don't like, you know, I you know, I I, I like Wendy's fries. Honestly, but like something that's got a little seasoning, like a little Obey or something. Oh, this is going to light off a firestorm in the comment section because everybody knows the only acceptable French fries from McDonald's. Okay, uh, Anna, favorite- Let's do not decay. <laughs> favorite color? Favorite color. I'm going to go with like an army green. I like that. Favorite sound? What do you love to hear? <sighs> Silence. <laughs> is there no, a that's not true. Favorite sound would be, um, I'm a, a bass guitar. Well, it's very possible that I failed to explain how a lightning round works. Oh, we want to get the first thing that comes to your head. You've now either slowed us down or changed your answer for all three. So bass guitar. <laughs> bass guitar. Okay. Favorite book or a book that you think everyone listening to you should read? Discipline is Destiny. Is there Brian a podcast? 
Say that one more time. Obviously this one. Other than this podcast, is there a podcast that is in your head that you love? I love everything Andrew Huberman. Oh my gosh. Stop. Stop the lightning round. If you don't know about Andrew Huberman, this this guy is a neuroscientist from Stanford University. And if if you are into why the brain does the things that it does and how your body works, and you want to hear his views on it with the latest science around it, and I, I'm a junkie. I can't stop listening to that. It's so good. I've learned more about light anchors in my last six months than I've ever needed to know, but it's good. It's so good. And by the way, if you're curious, if you wake up and you see a dim natural light in the morning, that signifies to your body that it's time to wake up. And if you watch a sunset, that signifies to your body that it's time to go to sleep. And you will sleep better if you allow the natural circadian rhythms of the universe to help. Those are his words, not mine. Anna, last one. Favorite movie? Oh, French film uh, Amelie. And that's where we ended the interview. Because here's the thing, friends, I I can talk movies with the best of them. I really can. I mean, you want to go back and talk the 80s, I'm all in. But as soon as you start bringing up art house movies that are made in France with subtitles, you lose me as a host. And friends, I'm not going to let us lose an audience over it. But I got to tell you, taking that out, I loved my conversation with Anna. When you sit back and you listen to Anna, here's what I hear. I hear somebody that's an absolute seeker. And I'm a seeker too. And you know them when you hear them. And some of you are. We're on this journey. We're seeking something. We're looking for something. And we're thinking people. And so we're constantly taking inventory of where we are and the things that we're doing. And we ask the question, am I happy with this? And I know that sounds like, yeah, of course, everybody asks themselves that. No, they don't. This audience does because we appeal to seekers because every one of these episodes is about people that are seeking to have the biggest lives possible by design, not by default. I want you to know that the majority of humans out there, they're not doing what you're doing. They're not filling their heads with stuff like this. They're not on the hunt for specific information so that they can make specific changes in their life so that they get more out of it. They're just waking up and they're getting what they get. And when you listen to Anna, there were plenty of times in her life where she could have just plateaued before going to bold, like she could have just plateaued before doing 220 that year, before starting the real estate team, she could have just plateaued and kept it where it is, before growing her family. Do you hear how she talks about all of it? I can almost see in my head as she's talking the staircase that is her life. And she demanded that she was going to be taking the next step up. So here's my question. Are you ready to take the next step up? Like when you think about where you are in life and you think about the things you want, have you been walking on a sidewalk on a flat street for too long and it's time to take some sort of new action because motion equals emotion and you need to change your motions right now? Or are you right where you planned on being? Was the plan that you made a big enough one? Are you way ahead and keep patting yourself on the back because you're ahead, but realize that you're not actually going anywhere that's big enough for where you could be going? I don't know the answer. Here's what I do know. Keep asking the questions. That's what makes this audience unique. That's what makes this show unique. We have seekers showing up every week to hear about other people's journeys, and it's within their journeys that we find our paths. Friends, that was Anna Kalinsky. There it is. That wraps another episode. Friends, I don't know what you're taking out of this. 
I really don't. I'll tell you what I want you to be taking out of it, which is these are the people that are having tremendously big lives. And the reason it's happening is because they're setting up the models and systems to do just that. Gary Keller told me that leadership is teaching people how to think so that they do the things they need to do when they need to do them so that ultimately they get the things they want when they want to have them. And that's what I want for you. You're all leaders, but it begins with leading ourselves. If you're enjoying this podcast, I want you to click the subscribe button anywhere that you get your podcasts. We want to be the voice in your head every single week, and every week we're dropping new content. We also send out a newsletter at the conclusion of every show to make sure that you get the highest points and the models and systems that were discussed. So if you want to sign up, I need your name and your email address. Head over to the millionaireagentpodcast.com. Millionaireagentpodcast.com. Enter your name and your email address, and every week that newsletter will be in your box. Friends, you just went on a journey. I hope that what happens between now and the next time we meet is absolutely wonderful for you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions of the guest represent those of the guest and not KWRI and its affiliates and should not be construed as financial, economic, legal, tax, or other advice. This podcast is provided without any warranty or guarantee of its accuracy, completeness, timeliness, or results from using the information. 